All right. Hey, let's get let's get started. We're going to jump right into it tonight. Somebody tell me what we've been talking about on and off for like the last month. Somebody tell me specifically what we've been talking about. Unashamed. Thank you, Reed, the one that I know's been paying attention. Unashamed. We've been going through what verse? Thank you. Can anybody say it? Oh, come on now. You got it. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God. For salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. But yes, to the Jew and the Greek. Okay, that's what we've been talking about. Hey guys, unashamed. This is what we've been talking about. Romans 1.16. Two weeks ago, we covered, we've been going through piece by piece. We did for I am not ashamed of the gospel. Can anybody tell me what that acronym was for the gospel? What were those words? G-O-S-P-E-L. God. Our. God, our sin. Close. Paying. God, our sin, paying everyone life. Some of y'all were very close. The gospel starts with God. God created everything. But we took God's story and we very quickly made it our story because we got involved with sin. Adam and Eve, which now infects every single one of us. But Jesus Christ came paying the debt that we owed for our sin to offer eternal life to everyone. That's what the gospel is. So that's what we talked about. And two weeks ago, we talked about the power of God. And if you remember, we talked about three specific things that the power that we could learn about the power of God. Does anybody remember what those are? What's that? Power of God protects us. I'd be more impressed if you didn't look down every time you read it. But you took notes. I'm glad. It protects us. What else? It what? It should frighten us. The power of God protects us. It should frighten us. The power of God deserves praise. It should lead us to worship. We talk about the power of God, guys. God created everything. The power of God. And that power, as we went through 2 Samuel chapter 22... We saw where David was talking about the power of God and how all of that, all of those things that David had experienced, all of the things he had seen God do, in the end, it led God, him to worship God. Because God's power deserves praise, not because we are afraid of Him, but because we are in awe of Him. Yeah, there is a good thing to have a healthy fear of God, but that fear should lead us to awe and wonder of who God is and what God is able to do. So that's the power of God. So tonight we're rounding the corner. After this week, we got one more week we're going to go through unashamed because we're going to finish out this verse next week. Tonight, we're looking at the next part. It says, the power of God for salvation. Now, a couple weeks ago, when we were talking about the power of God, I don't know if you guys caught this, but David actually mentions the word salvation several times in that passage we read. In 2 Samuel chapter 22, verse 3, he said, My God, my rock, in whom I take refuge my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge, my Savior, you saved me from violence. 
In verse 47, same chapter, he said, The Lord lives, and blessed be my rock, and exalted be my God, the rock of my salvation. In verse 51, great salvation he brings his king and shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his offspring forever. Now you see, David uses that word salvation over and over and over again because that word obviously meant something to David. When we talk about this idea of being unashamed, this idea from Romans 1.16 about the power of God for the gospel, the whole thing is the fact that the power of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, works for salvation. Now that's a word that we hear a lot in the church. That's a word that we throw around a lot. But I think there are times where we actually forget what that means. We forget what salvation means. And I say we forget because sometimes we act like we've never experienced it. And I don't, I don't necessarily mean by the things that we do or the things that we listen to or, or all of that other stuff. Yeah, that's part of it. But sometimes we walk around like, like we're defeated, like we're dead. Like the God of the universe did not send his son to die on a cross so that we could have life and have a relationship with him. We forget the fact that we've experienced salvation. And when we look at this book, as we look at God's word, we see over and over people who, who experience salvation and we see that they're excited that there's something happening in their life and sometimes we don't act that way at all. Now, if you go back and you look at the whole idea of salvation, you can see that salvation, the idea of it, did not start with Jesus Christ in the book of Matthew. You can trace the idea of salvation all the way back through the New Testament. You can look at where God makes a covenant with David in 2 Samuel. Does anybody know what God says to David there? Yeah. He doesn't say Jesus' name. But he does talk about Jesus when he's making a covenant with him, when he's making a promise, an agreement with David. Here's what he says to him, starting in verse 8 of chapter 7. It says, Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took, from the, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went, and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones on the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly, from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of man. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. You see, God makes a promise to David here. What God is telling David is that you're the king of my people. You're the king of this nation of Israel. One of these days, I'm going to take care of this nation. But you're going to die. But don't worry about that. Because from your line, from your family, is going to come a son whose kingdom I'm going to establish forever. So right there we see the promise of Jesus Christ. All the way back in 2 Samuel, not just in Matthew, 
But all the way back in 2 Samuel, if you go back 13 generations before David, you get Abraham in Genesis. And if you read it, the covenant that God makes with Abraham, he makes almost the exact same covenant with Abraham. 13 generations before he talks to David. Think about that. You guys probably don't even know who your 13 generations ago grandfather is, do you? But see, we see so clearly right here that God has laid out a promise to His people. He has laid out the guarantee that salvation is coming and that child that He talks about is Jesus Christ. If salvation... What, what does the word salvation mean? Somebody tell me that. What's it mean? Okay. The vehicle used to transport you from sin to life. Anybody want to add to that? Say anything different? No? Everybody's... What's that? What is salvation? Everybody good? You're going to go with Reed's answer? Okay. Do y'all just not want to answer? I don't want to say anything. What's your answer, Nick? Yeah, I'll be quiet. Yeah, salvation. Reed's got a basic definition. It's moving from death to life. That's what it is. Think about when you think of the idea of somebody saving you. They're saving you from harm or death or something bad and bringing you to something good. Safety. Right? That's where salvation comes from. When we talk about salvation in terms of God, it is saving us, it is moving us from death to life. But see, like I said a minute ago, a lot of times... Some of us walk around, even though we say we have life, we still walk around like we're in death. We still carry ourselves. We still interact with people. We still think the way we thought before we ever experienced salvation. But you see, Paul tells us in the New Testament, in Romans chapter 8, he talks about this difference that should exist. That if we've experienced salvation, we've gone from death to life. And because we have moved from death to life, our life should look different. There should be a distinction from the time that we did not know Christ to the time that we do now know Christ. And Paul talks about what that looks like in Romans chapter 8. So that's what we're going to read through tonight. Because we need to understand that there should be a difference in our life. And if there's not a difference in our life, if we are the exact same the moment after we experience salvation as we were the moment before, Maybe we didn't experience salvation. Maybe we've got something to think about, something to talk to God about. So let's look at how Paul describes that distinction, the difference in our lives that should be there. In Romans 8, verse 1, it says, There is now, therefore, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Pretty simple. If we belong to Jesus Christ, if He's forgiven, our, forgiven us of our sins, then we are free from the internal effects of sin. We no longer owe that penalty. Yes, sin carries a penalty. Death. We all die physically. Can't get away from that. But the death we're talking about is a spiritual death. It's an eternal separation from God. If God brings life, then to be separated from God forever is death. 
And he says, if we belong to Jesus Christ, if we've been forgiven by his blood and his resurrection, then we have life. We're not the same way we were before. And then he goes on to talk about it a little bit more. He says, for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Now, let's, let's stop and camp out there for just a second. This is talking about the law. Who sent the law? Who gave man law? God. Okay. Now, the way this just described it, this says that God sent Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ fulfilled the requirement of the law, the righteous requirement of the law. Is man ever able to meet God's law? Why not? Okay. So tell me how this is fair then. You've got God who is perfect, gives man the law, knowing full well that, God, that man will never be able to fulfill the law that God has given him. Does that seem like a trap to you? Why not? What's that? Exactly. Some people will tell you, hey, if God knew man couldn't fulfill the law, when he sent that law, he was setting us up. He set us up to fail. It's entrapment. It's like a policeman sitting at a speed limit sign and clocking you at 55 when the speed changes to 35, and you didn't even have time to slow down. I say that because I've been through that one. We say, that's entrapment. You knew I was there. You knew I was going to fail, but you caught me anyway. But that's not why God sent the law. That's not why God gave us the Ten Commandments. God gave us the law to show us His perfection so that we could see our imperfection, so that we could understand how desperately we need Him. That's why God gave us the law. The entire intent of that was to bring us into relationship with the one that created us. So it's not entrapment. God sent that because He knew we needed it it was given by God to help his people live a life that honors him. And the law shows us that we can't honor him on our own. Even the Old Testament sacrificial system, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. God set this up to do what? The Old Testament sacrificial system. What was the purpose? Yeah, to cleanse our sins for a little bit. The sacrificial system worked. It only worked temporarily. You could sin. You could go do the sacrifices that they required at the temple, and you would be cleansed of your sin. You would be forgiven by God. That's what Scripture tells us. However, as soon as you sinned again, you've got to go sacrifice again. And then you've got to sin again, and then you're going to sacrifice again. And it's just a vicious cycle that goes over and over and over. But Jesus Christ came to fulfill that requirement. He came to pay the penalty for the law and to take care of that. We as imperfect people, we can't meet the perfect requirement of God. That was the purpose of Jesus Christ. That is what salvation is all about. That's why it tells us in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. See, when I say there should be a difference between before you knew Christ and now that you do know Christ, I'm not just making that up. 
That's what it says in Scripture. Behold, the old has passed away and the new has come. Our lives should look different. And as we get into it next week, we're going to talk a lot more in detail about what that looks like for every single one of us. But there should be a marked difference. And Paul goes on to explain this a little bit more in verse 5 of chapter 8. He says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Paul makes a pretty sharp distinction there, doesn't he? He says, if you belong to God, you live in the Spirit. If you don't belong to God, you live in the flesh. And if you live in the flesh, you're hostile towards God. You, you can't obey Him. You can't love Him. You can't please Him. So what does it mean to set our mind on the flesh? Somebody tell me what you think that means. Besides Reed, besides Lindsay, besides Kevin, somebody that hasn't spoken. Justin, what's that? To give in to sin? Like what? That's like me saying, what are we talking about? Jesus. Okay, give me some examples. I know, that's what I said. Give me some examples. You don't have to give me yours. Just Okay. Okay. Following the world. Whatever you're into, whatever your run-of-the-mill sin is, you're good to go. Read. What's that? Cussing? Okay. Yeah. Now, let me ask you a question. Are there a lot more things than were just mentioned right here? Yeah, there are. There's things that we don't like to talk about in front of people. But there's things that go on in people's lives that are sin, sins that we try to keep hidden, other sins that we're fine with in public. But when we actively participate in those sins, we are living for the Spirit or for the flesh? That's a question. The flesh. Now, does that mean that if you have a relationship with God that you will never sin again? No, it doesn't. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to make bad choices sometimes. You will sin. However, that's not supposed to be our goal. That's not supposed to be our aim. That's not our goal. Our goal is supposed to be following God and trying to please God. In fact, what Paul says is the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. Anybody, don't raise your hands, ever felt hostile to somebody? Like a teacher that gave you a bad grade? No, I'm, I mean, ra I'm sorry, raise your hand, don't give me names. Okay, so you know what it means to feel hostile towards somebody. Okay, hostile, hostile, whatever you want to say, you really don't like somebody. And that doesn't mean you just, okay, I don't like them, I'm going to stay away from them. No, that means you're going to go out of your way to make sure they know that you don't like them. Yeah, some of y'all have a lot of experience in that. For instance, for instance, if you hurt someone in my family, my wife or my children, if it's an accident, we might can get along afterwards. But if you haven't intentionally gone after one of my children or gone after my wife to harm them, I'm going to be hostile towards you. And it's not going to be pretty. And it's okay because God will forgive me. 
And I'm all right with that. Whoa, yeah, buddy. That's what we're talking about. But see, we know what hostility feels like because we felt that towards people. Scripture tells us that when we are living in the flesh, that is what we are towards God. When we are actively seeking sin, when we are actively making those choices that we know God would not have for our lives, we are hostile towards God. Think about that for a second. The way you feel about that person or have felt about that person, how you can't stand to be around them, don't want them to talk, don't want anything to do with them, it says that is how we feel to God. We're telling God, I don't want you. I don't need you. Get away from me. That's what we're saying. I don't know about you guys, but that's, that's kind of a scary place to be. And it says if we've never experienced salvation, that's where we are. In our actions, in our thoughts, in our relationships, our entertainment, any way you can think of, we are actively against God. But if you've experienced salvation, your life should be different. Your life should not look like the person standing next to you that doesn't know Christ. And let's just be honest. Sometimes in a crowd, it's hard to tell the difference, isn't it? Because we go along with what's going on. We go along with what everybody else is doing and our life doesn't look like a life that's experienced salvation. It looks like a life that's hostile towards God. Even if you are in a Christian school. Because I can promise you, there are people you sit in class with every single day who have not experienced salvation, whose minds, whose thoughts, whose lives are hostile towards God. And they may tell you, no, no, I don't hate God. Well, not intentionally. But Scripture tells us that that is what they feel towards God. And our lives should not look like that. Look at what it says next in verse 9. It says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. If you have experienced salvation, if God has forgiven you of your sins through the person and work of Jesus Christ, then the Spirit of God lives in you. The Holy Spirit lives in you. You have the power of God inside of you. If you have not, if you have not experienced salvation, then when I read that verse, that verse right there tells me we're walking corpses. It says we're dead. We're dead. That's, that's the way Scripture describes it. If we don't have life, then we're dead. It says in Ephesians 2, verse 4, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive in Christ, by grace you have been saved. Dead in our trespasses, dead in our sin. You know the first picture that comes to my mind when I think about being dead in my sin? Can anybody guess? Zombies. Yes. Think about it. Zombies. I'm sure you do. How many of, okay, how many of you this week, you have seen a commercial or a movie or a TV show or played a game or seen something to do with zombies just this week? Okay. 
America has a fascination with zombies. Let me, let me tell you some things that I found. Listen to this. Since 1984, I know this is, this is a long time ago, 1984, listen, there have been over 120 different video games where you hurt zombies or kill zombies in some way dealing with zombies. Okay? Hold on, it gets better. I found a list of zombie movies. I stopped counting at the letter H and I was at 260 zombie movies that have been made. That's a lot of movies. Yes. What's that? I'm talking TV shows. I mean, I'm talking movies, not TV shows. No, video games? What a, that doesn't surprise me. I'm sure, I'm sure that was included. That, and that's, that's not to mention the TV shows. What's the most popular one right now? The Walking Dead. Yes. And zombies. Zombies in every one of those, they are walking around, and their goal is death and destruction. Their goal is to kill people. They want brains. Their goal is death and destruction. Now, think about this for a second. Hold on. Think about this. If we are dead in our sin before we know Christ, if we are dead in our trespasses, then before we know Christ, we're walking around in death. We're walking around in destruction. We're zombies. Yes, if you don't know Christ, you're a zombie of sorts. That's the way Scripture describes it. That's kind of my take on it. But it says we're dead in our trespasses. We're dead in our sin. We've got these bodies that are walking around, these minds that are thinking, these mouths that are talking, ears that are listening, and they're bent on death and destruction if we don't know God. You see, that's why it's so important. That's why Paul makes this distinction here because we don't realize it. Before we know Christ, we are dead. But once we know Him, we have life. We are not the same people we were before. At least we shouldn't be. We should be different. There should be something happening in our lives. When we experience salvation, that verse tells us that we are a new creation. We are something new. God has taken the old and gotten rid of it. And God has given us new life through the power of God. He's given us the Holy Spirit that lives within us. And here is my question for you. Have you truly experienced salvation? Think about it for a second. Think about your life. Think about your habits, your friends, your attitude towards God. Does it reflect death? Does it reflect hostility? Or does it reflect life? Does it reflect the Holy Spirit that lives within you? Does it reflect the new creation that God promises He will make us the moment we know that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins? The moment, the instant that we understand and believe that He rose from the dead and that He has forgiven us? Have you really experienced salvation? And I'm not asking you this tonight to try and make you doubt I'm asking you this tonight because I want to challenge you and encourage you. Take a hard look at the life that you live. Is it any different 
And you may say, you know what? I grew up in Christian school. I grew up in church. I never really did anything bad. So no, there's not a big difference. Well, okay, just because the habits aren't there, what about your attitude towards God? You know, for those of you who were here Sunday, you heard me talk about growing in spiritual maturity. Do you have a desire to be a part of God's church? I would say you do at least in some part because you're sitting here tonight. Do you have a desire to get into the Word of God? Do you crave it? Do you care to read it at all? Because that is how you know God. That is how you become more like Christ, by reading and studying His Word and understanding who He is. Do you know for a fact tonight that you have gone from death to life? If you're here and you're not sure, the band's going to get up and sing in a minute and play. And I just want to ask you to come talk to me. If you just want me to pray for you, say, hey, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm not where I need to be. I know I'm alive, but I also think I've been hostile to God, and I want that to change. Let me pray for you. I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to stand you up in front of everybody, but I do want to pray for you. Because we have an incredible opportunity, an incredible responsibility that if we have experienced salvation, our life should be so that we can turn around and tell somebody else about it. So that they can experience life. So that they can stop being a zombie and they can move from death to life and know who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. And every single one of us in here, if you've got a relationship with Jesus Christ, that's the privilege you have. That's the opportunity you have is to take salvation and share it with somebody. Because just like somebody changed your life with it, you have the opportunity to change somebody else's life with it. Let's pray. God, we do thank you for tonight. God, thank you for Jesus. We thank you that you sent him. Thank you that we can know you through his sacrifice. God, help us God, just help us. Help us to live a life to the best of our ability, God, that honors you. Even when we make mistakes, God, help us to turn to you. If you're here tonight and you just want somebody to pray for you, pray with you, I'll be in the back of the room. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.